Part two, chapter three of the secret of Charlotte Bronte. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The secret of Charlotte Bronte by Frederica Richardson MacDonald. Part two, chapter three. Monsieur and Madame Eger as I saw them and Belgian schoolgirls as I knew them Let me give here my mother's and my own account of the impressions made upon us by monsieur Egel's personal appearance at this time He is very like one of those selected Roman Catholic priests my mother told her Dutch relatives who go into society and look after the eldest sons of Catholic noblemen he has too good a nose for a Belgian and I should say he has Italian blood in him My own report to my brother who made anxious inquiries of me was less flattering perhaps But it was not intended to be disrespectful. I Always see monsieur Egger as I saw him then as too interesting to be alarming but too alarming to be lovable He is rather like punch I said but better looking of course and not so good-tempered Let me justify these two descriptions by showing that both of them were based upon an accurate observation of the man himself Monsieur Egger as I remember him was no longer what Charlotte called him angrily in her letter to Ellen Nussie a little black being and affectionately under the disguise of Paul Emmanuel a spare alert man showing the velvet blackness of a close-shorn head and the sallow ivory of his brow beneath Monsieur Egger in 1859 was still alert, but he was not spare. He was inclining towards stoutness His hair was not velvet black but grizzled and he was bold on the crown of his head in a way that might have been mistaken for a tonsure and this no doubt added to the resemblance my mother saw in him to a priest He did not look in the least old however his brow not sallowed but bronzed was unwrinkled His eyes were still clear and penetrating Charlotte said they were violet blue and certainly she ought to have known Still do violet eyes penetrate one's soul like points of steel the Roman nose that my mother thought too good a nose to be Belgian and that reminded me of punch But a good-looking punch was a commanding feature and The curved chin also suggesting a good-looking punch to a young and irreverent observer Although it indicated humor meant sarcasm rather than a sense of fun But monsieur Egger had one really beautiful feature that I remember often watching with extreme pleasure when he recited fine poetry or read noble prose His mouth when uttering words that moved him had a delightful smile not in the least tender towards ordinary mortals But certainly tender in its homage to the excellence of writers of genius In brief what monsieur Egger's face revealed when studied as the index of his natural qualities was intellectual superiority an imperious temper a good deal of impatience against stupidity and very little patience with his fellow creatures generally It revealed too a good deal of humor and a very little kind-heartedness To be weighed against any amount of irritability 
it was a sort of face bound to interest one but not so it seems to me to conquer affection for with all these qualities of intellect power humor and a little kind-heartedness one quality was totally lacking there was no love in monsieur heger's face nor in his character as i recall it and oddly enough looking back now to him as one of the personages in my own past to whom i owe most and whose mind i most admire i have to recognize that in my sentiment towards monsieur heger to-day even made up as it is half of admiration and half of amusement there is not one particle of love i have said in connection with my first impression that undying hate was the sentiment that monsieur heger had conceived for me that really it was not so bad as all that still what happened at this first interview if it did not determine any deep-rooted antipathy to me planted for this moment in monsieur heger's breast did indicate to a certain extent what the character of our future relationships was to be out of lesson hours in these hours our relationships of professor and pupil were ideal seldom did an occasional misunderstanding trouble them certainly in my own day no other pupil entered with so much sympathetic admiration into the spirit of monsieur heger's teaching as i did he saw and felt this and here i too was for him and as a pupil sympathetic but in our personal relationships there were certain things in me that were antipathetic to monsieur heger and that rubbed him so much the wrong way that he was constantly so it still seems to me unjust to what were not faults but idiosyncrasies that belonged to my nationality and my character first of all there was my english accent and here this singular remark has to be made i never spoke such purely british french to any one as to monsieur heger and this was the result of my constant endeavour to be very careful to avoid the accent he disliked when speaking to him the second cause of offence in me was also due to my nationality or rather my upbringing like all english children of my generation i had been brought up to esteem it undignified and even a breach of good manners to cry in public and although i was tender-hearted and emotional i was not in the least hysterical and except under the stress of extreme distress it cost me very little self-control not to weep as my belgian schoolfellows did very often at the smallest scolding and even without a scolding and simply because they were bored ennuyé i remember now my surprise at first hearing the reply to my question to a sobbing schoolfellow pourquoi pleures-tu parce que je m'ennuie why mais je te le dis parce que je m'ennuie well but monsieur heger liked his pupils to cry when he said disagreeable things or in any case he became gentle and melted when they wept and was amiable at once but when they did not weep but appeared either unmoved or indignant he became more and more disagreeable and at length exasperated a third idiosyncrasy in me that he disliked was not national but personal it was due to a sort of incipient rousseauism that must have been inborn because i was never taught it even in england and yet there it was implanted in me as a sentiment long before i recognized it 
as an opinion or conviction that i could express in words this natural sentiment or principle was the belief that i was born free that my soul was my own and that there was no virtue wisdom nor happiness possible for me outside of the laws of my own constitution unformulated but inherent in me this fundamental belief in myself as a law to myself no doubt betrayed itself in a sort of independence of mind and manner very aggravating to my elders and betters and to those put in authority over me and especially aggravating to an authoritative professor who was in all domains opposed to individualism and the doctrine of personal rights and liberty thus in literature m Egel was a classic in religion he was a dogmatic catholic in politics he was an anti-democrat a lover of vigorous kings and by constitution he was a king in his own right a masterful man not only a law to himself but a lord by virtue of his sense of superiority to everyone else for these reasons monsieur Egger and myself on ideal terms as professor and pupil were on bad terms outside of lesson hours we could not quite dislike each other but our relationships were stormy there were however intervals of calm i have said that with a good deal of admiration gratitude and some amusement there is no love for monsieur Egger intermingled with my remembrances of him there is on the contrary a good deal of love in the sentiment i retain for madame Egger, although as a matter of fact in the days when i was her pupil i never remember any strong or warm feeling of personal affection for her nor have i any distinct personal obligation to her as to one who like monsieur Egger, rendered me direct services by her instructions or counsels nor yet again had madame Egger any strong personal liking for me nor did she show me any special kindness but her kindness was of an all-embracing character and so was her liking for or rather love of all the inhabitants of the little world she governed a world that extended beyond the boundaries of the actual walls of the pensionnat in the stated year a world made up of all the girls who before that year and afterwards through several generations had been and ever would be her dear pupils mes chers eleves terms that uttered by her were no mere formula but expressed a true sentiment and a serious and so it seems to me a beautiful and sweet idealism this idealism in madame Egaire, this constant love and care and watchfulness for the community of girls who passing out of her hands were to go out into the world by and by to fulfil there what madame Egaire saw to be the kind and sweet and tranquil and sometimes self-sacrificing and sorrowful mission of womanhood enveloped the ideal schoolmistress with a sort of unfailing benevolence that became a pervading influence in the pensionnat singling out no particular pupils and withdrawn from none of them here it seems to me and not at all in the reasons imagined by charlotte in the case of madame beck we have the secret of madame Egaire's system of government i really am not at this distance of time able to say positively whether there was or was not a surveillance that might be called a system of espionage carried on keeping the headmistress informed of the conversation and behavior of this large number of girls 
amongst whom one or two black sheep might have sufficed to contaminate the flock i was not a faultless nor a model girl by any means but i was a simple sort of young creature with nothing of the black sheep in me and i never remember in my own case having my desk explored nor my pockets turned inside out but if even this had been done it would not have gravely affected me because neither in my pockets nor in my desk would anything have been found of a mysterious or interesting character but i should think it very probable that in this very large school a watchful surveillance was kept up and that if any of these schoolgirls most of them under sixteen had attempted after their return from the monthly holiday to bring back to school illegal stores of sweets or a naughty story-book and had concealed such things in their school desks well i admit i think it possible that the sweets or naughty book might have been missing from the desk next day and also that in the course of the afternoon a not entirely welcome invitation would have been received by the imprudent smuggler of forbidden goods to pay madame heger a visit in the salon these things took place occasionally i know and naturally amongst the girls public sympathy was with the smuggler but i am not sure if one takes the point of view of a directress if a large girls school could be carried on successfully were it made a point of honour that there should be no surveillance and that pupils might use their lockers as cupboards for sweets or as hiding places for light literature but apart from the fact that madame heger was no doubt both watchful and uncompromising in her surveillance based upon a firm resolution that nothing inconvenient must be smuggled in or hidden out of sight as a source of mischief in the school there was in her no resemblance to the odious madame beck that is to say no moral resemblance in physical appearance the author of villette did use madame heger evidently as the model for the picture of an entirely different moral person Quote, her complexion was fresh and sanguine her eye blue and serene her face offered contrasts its features were by no means such as are usually seen in conjunction with a complexion of such blended freshness and repose their outline was stern her forehead was high but narrow it expressed capacity and some benevolence but no expanse i know not what of harmony pervaded her whole person End quote. taking this portrait from villette as it is given of madame beck and comparing it with my own recollections and also with the photograph i am fortunate enough to possess of madame heger at the age of sixty it seems to me that this is a very accurate physical description of the real directress of the school in the rue d'isabelle who morally was as unlike the fictitious madame beck as truth is unlike falsehood about the physical resemblance i must say that if i had trusted to my own impressions I should have rejected the assertion that the outline of her features was stern i never remember associating sternness with madame heger though her supreme quality of serenity imposed a sort of respect that had a little touch of fear in it upon re-examining the photograph attentively however i find that it is true that the outline of the features is stern but i do not think that this impression was conveyed by the younger face remembered with softened colouring and lit up 
as a characteristic expression by a normal expression of serenity and of kindliness i know not what of harmony pervaded her whole person that sentence of charlotte's used by her of the unspeakable madame beck exactly expresses the impression i still retain of the very estimable and by myself affectionately remembered madame Heger. in the same way as i have said the apprehensions as to my future companions in this foreign school that would infallibly have awakened in me if i had read before meeting them the account given by the author of villette of belgian schoolgirls as differing not only in nationality but in human nature from english schoolgirls would have been groundless when i call up around me to-day the recollections of my bruxelles schoolfellows amongst whom i was the only english girl and the only protestant there does not come back to me any painful remembrance that i ever felt myself an alien amongst them on the contrary i remember privileges granted me as la petite anglaise who was further away than others from home and must be treated with special kindness i see around me in this large company of girls no perverted nor precociously formed young women whose eyes are full of an insolent light and their brows hard and unblushing as marble in brief i see no swinish multitude such as insular prejudice and a disturbed imagination showed charlotte but i see very much the same mixed crowd of youthful faces fair and dark pretty and plain smiling and serious stupid and intelligent coarse and fine sympathetic and unlikable that one would get in such a large collection of english schoolgirls but in all this crowd of my belgian schoolfellows just what my memory does not show me anywhere are the eyes full of an insolent light and the brow hard and unblushing as marble that are not characteristics of the schoolgirl in any nation or country i have ever known and i have been a traveller in my time and enjoyed opportunities of observing different national peculiarities that never fell in the way of charlotte who spent two years in bruxelles but lived the rest of her life in yorkshire as for the hundred or more perhaps than a hundred schoolgirls that made up in my day the little world ruled by madame Heger, as the administrator of a system based on the authority of douceur bonté and les convenances in the sense of what was seemly and opposed to violence and ugliness amongst them were many girls whom i only knew by name and sight many of whom i knew slightly better and whom i rather liked than disliked a few whom i disliked heartily very few of these and a few whom i loved dearly very few again but amongst these friends chosen because their hearts were in tune with my own the difference of nationality and creed did not stand in the way of mutual affection in some cases it is true life with its exacting claims of duties and occupations and cares rushed in to divide me afterwards from these companions of my best years when everything that i am glad and not sorry to have been and to have done in a long life was prepared and made possible for me but at least one of these friendships formed with a belgian schoolgirl in those days i may describe as a lifelong friendship because it remains an unaltered sentiment that lives in me to-day unquenched by the fact that only a few years ago after half a century had passed since we met 
my girlfriend that had been then a white-haired woman now died in the same year as it strangely happened that our old school transformed into a boys college during the last twenty years of its existence that had stood in the rue d'isabelle until 1909 was swept away with its beautiful old walled garden and time-honored pear trees that to the end of their lives renewed their perfumed snowy blossom every spring i am told a handsome building now replaces the long plain straggling facade of the historic school but i have no wish to see it end of chapter three